Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. I think something like this is very timely. Um, we've been working with James to generally promote what's happening globally, but it's great to have this happening in Ireland. Um, also, um, with a, with, there's, a, there's a wave of digital rural hubs happening and we went to visit the one in Spiddle in February and Cape Clear is due to have one and so basically you've got these very large ones like the Ludgate and WeWork um, no the one in um, Republic of Work in Cork and then uh, the one in Dublin and then you've got these small satellite ones many of which are on islands so this is a fantastic opportunity um, and so you know we're in a kind of COVID corona context but at the same time for a lot of not all businesses have lost money during this period and some businesses have done very well uh, or thrived or found a new way to do business. And for places like here, um, uh, I think, I think there's a, it's an interesting time. And if we can break the concept that the only way to make a living on islands is farming and fishing and to look at renewables, uh, recyclable and um, green power, wind and solar, and then also with a good dose of connectivity, um, the, the last six months have showed that people can actually do a lot of work very well and not necessarily physically have to commute to a place. And that could be really positive and liberating in terms of uh, recalibrating the decisions that people make about where they choose to live in order to get the right quality uh, of balance, uh, balance uh, life-work balance. So th- this is very interesting because um, if you look at the population statistics for many of the Irish islands, they have been falling over time. At the same time, we have a, potentially a new paradigm that could enable people to come and live on the islands uh, and work and have happy, meaningful lives with sources of income that weren't previously around before. And in some ways, the last six months have then become a big nudge to show that it is possible. Like if the work is good and timely, it doesn't necessarily need somebody physically sitting in an office in a city to deliver that work. So I think in that context, uh, we are at a very exciting time, but obviously you need the pipes and the tubes to be working. So you need the Wi-Fi to work and you need to put in the physical aspect. And so I think it is possible and it can be done. And if we can get the physical aspect done, then we have a great possibility. Now, the two speakers that we have, uh, Segway very well into this because uh, Sarah has been working with radio and radio and podcasts are a very informative and effective way to reach people all over the place and so uh, Bear Island have been doing the radio and I know the school were doing stuff during lockdown and I found that a fantastic example of what you can do with a degree of connectivity and so and so I think I think they have done things that we can learn from um, and then since then uh, Cape and Shirkin have begun doing a radio show as well and this can be heard both here and on the mainland and in many ways this, this, this starts to even remind people that the islands are here, people are still here, people are still doing things. And the, uh, the programming of the radio shows has been very creative because in 90 minutes, if you do a little bit on many things, uh, it, 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 offer, it reaches a wide range of people. And if you don't like one bit, it's like you don't like that song, wait for the next song. And I think it's been a very powerful way to reach a wider audience. And then uh, what's been happening is, is the content has been distilled into podcasts and Again, this touches slightly on the second speaker too. We have the data to show us that it's being listened to. The third most popular city this week for one day was Sao Paulo. So on one hand, you start scratching your head and going, are there loads of Brazilians planning to move to West Cork? 
Uh, but either way, it shows that you can reach a far wider audience than you were able to before. And, and therefore, uh, Kate, for example, has been doing a series of profiles and, and no one person is expected to know or have the answer to everything. But by building up a, like, a mosaic almost of various insights of what it is like for people to live on islands, I think it helps to demystify it. And, 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 and all of the profiles have been very, very much aimed at showing the benefits and not over romanticizing it. Uh, because otherwise you have people that come for a day or a weekend on a sunny day and don't understand. But with these radio shows and the podcasts, um, it has a fantastic way to be able to demystify. I mean, when we moved to the island, what, before we came, we researched as much as we could and we found a few RTE TV shows. But I think the more that's out there and the more you can inform people of realities, uh, the more it, it, it busts the myths and helps people. So, so therefore, Sarah's thing is particularly relevant because it, it reaches a far wider audience than you may realize. And then similarly with Brendan, I think one is the data that helps us to know this and we can definitively say we know where it's reaching because we can see and therefore you can articulate because people will say, oh, your radio show is only reaching the west end of the island. And we can say, no, it's having a global reach and therefore it's like, like today, it promotes a wider conversation. Uh, also, the fact that Brendan is doing stuff with Code Africa it shows that if you have the interest and the talent, you can be reaching people anywhere and that we're much more globally connected. And therefore, the physical location is, is, is much less important if the connectivity is there. And, and this can only be helpful for islands in general. So therefore, I think, I think both of the things they're going to talk about uh, are very interesting of themselves, but also will only get you thinking about ways that you could do things in a similar way to, to help promote and make island life sustainable, which, which it can be. And again, we've looked at Scotland and we've learned a lot from Scotland and the amount of energy that they're generating on islands from renewable sources. So I think, I think you know, the great thing is, is we can learn stuff quickly and then work out what, what works where we are. So I guess that, that's why I'm excited and that's why I'm happy with the two speakers that we have. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you to get them to speak. And then I know we have time if people want to ask questions as well. So that's, that's my thoughts on it so far. Thank you. Okay, thanks. I think that's, uh, he's introducing you there, Sarah, if you want to kick off first. Thanks everyone, sorry. I'm just trying to share my screen here and I'm having a little bit of trouble. Bear with me one second. Yeah, sometimes it works first time and sometimes Yeah, yeah. it's working fine and uh, all of a sudden it's just frozen on me. So bear with me one second. But maybe while I'm waiting to do that, um, so Simon, you, you mentioned some of the things I'm going to talk about today, and I'm going to talk about a project called the Grassroots Radio Project, which seeks to lower the barriers for communities to have a community radio. Um, and it's a project that's across Europe in Romania, Portugal and Ireland. And in Ireland, um, and what is of relevance to this summit, is that the radio stations are on the West Cork Islands. So Bear Island is a project partner and Cape Clear and Sherkin Island have also um, been engaged. Now, if you can bear with me one second, I'm just going to try and share my screen. Um, okay. Okay, can everyone see that? Yep. Brilliant, okay, thank you. So, um, as I mentioned, um, the, 
for those that aren't maybe from Ireland, because I know there are some participants that are from islands overseas, this is the kind of geographic area we're talking about. So Bear Island is in purple here, Cape Clear is in green, and Sherkin Island is in yellow. And the idea of the project is to lower the barriers for communities to have a community radio. But I thought because this session is on technology, I'd also talk a little bit about what existing research tells us about technology and rural island contexts. And there's not a lot um, of literature on this, but the literature that is on it tells us that basically island, rural island communities teach us about the importance of values like connection, collaboration, community, not having choice as important for design of technology. And they also teach us about the importance of reliability. It has to work. Um, and also in a rural context, the importance of social harmony. So community technology um, must be, um, must kind of foster social harmony. Um, it also teaches us that there are lots of diversity on rural island contexts. Um, and that islands are at the forefront of sustainability. Um, rural island contexts, as Simon said, populations have been declining for a long time, and the fear of depopulation is very real and something that everyone on islands, including those involved in technology, um, fight against. And we can learn a lot from islands about how to become sustainable and face some of the major challenges as, as a globe we're facing now with climate change. I want to, and also for technology, what we also learn from islands is the importance of repair and maintenance. So technology has to work. Um, and if it, if it doesn't, and if it breaks down, um, people have to know how to maintain it and how to repair it. Um, so in terms of in terms of our radio project, I'm going to talk specifically about Bear Island um, today um, and how they have used the project to foster connections. So if you can see on this map, it's, it's a map of Bear Island in the middle and the mainland areas surrounding it. And with radio technology, um, the water carries FM really, really well. So Bear Island are able to broadcast from the middle of the bay, but speak to surrounding rural communities. And they've kind of created a platform that um, communities, rural communities across the mainland area can also use. And I'm going to give you two quotes from some recent research we did with listeners. One said that the most important thing for them about the radio was being able to connect with people from home, while at the same time, the radio is connecting with people from home living beyond home. So just as Simon talked about people in Sao Paulo listen, listening to um, podcasts from Cape Clear, similarly in Bear Island, members of the diaspora that live anywhere from Argentina to Russia can listen in um, and um, kind of maintain their connection with the community. Um, but it also fosters connectivity within the island and I think within um, volunteers that take part. So this is Eileen, who is one of the um, primary volunteers and presenters on the radio. And she talks about the fact that the radio has kind of changed her sense of herself. She says, I was always told that I would never amount to anything. In joining the radio, I discovered potential I didn't know I had. Through the radio, I discovered a love and a hunger for the written word. It enabled me to open up a brain that had been dormant and to put down on paper meaningful thoughts and phrases. Through the radio, I am able to express myself. 
And I want to show you um, the other ways that the island, in particular during the and fostered connectivity. They were able to sustain um, access to important services to islanders like Mass, for example, which is broadcast on the radio every week. Um, in terms of innovation, the um, local secondary school who were not able to um, teach students um, face to face and, and had to move to a digital platform, used the radio as a form of assembly every morning. Um, the island also reached out to islanders and people from the peninsula all over the world in other contexts affected by COVID. So for example, they had interviews with um, local people in Italy, who of course at the time of the interview were, were much further ahead in their COVID trajectory than um, we were in Ireland. So the radio kind of fostered that global local connection, which was really important. Um, and also um, the students in the National School, hello, um, they've also been really involved in the radio. And this, so this is just a little medley of some of the ways the radio is connected. You're all very welcome this morning. Our mass is being broadcast on Bear Island Community Radio. We send greetings and blessings to those in our communities who are with us this morning through the radio and also to our extended family members, wherever they may be throughout the world. Good morning to everyone, students, parents, guardians and members of the wider community. It's another lovely, bright morning and a great one again for you to get outside for your daily walk, jog or run. We have plenty of students who play musical instruments, our sing, if you would like to contribute for two minutes on a morning this week, we would love to hear from you. Wake up if you see you and nobody's there. Smell of your perfume is stuck in the air. Hi, this is Upton and Michael from Scoville Neva. We looked at the machinery section of the Farmer's Journal. There is a new Manitou 1650R skid steer. New Zealand is the furthest away point in the world from Ireland. I think you're directly opposite us in the globe, like so. Yeah, we should start digging. We'll get there eventually, won't we? <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. So yesterday, New Zealand was the first country to get parking back again after COVID-19. So how did that go? Dr Fiona will have advice on our health in general, but also on our well-being. Things are starting to get back to normal now again anyway, thank God. The usual health issues are coming back into us, so that's, that's quite positive. Bear Island Community Radio 100.1 FM Lovely. So, yeah, just to, to wrap up, so there's some of the ways that the island is using technology for the radio to connect. Um, I also forgot to mention in COVID, what was very important was kind of local voices. So Dominic Callahan, who I think is on the call today, um, interviewed the local doctor who gave public health information as it was being delivered um, to the community and explained it to them. And I'll leave you with just some other pictures of how they're connecting. So Cape Clear Island, Shirkin Island and Bear Island are all now kind of sharing learning, sharing content to a certain extent. And here's some pictures of a recent training on Cape Clear Island um, with Bear Island and Shirkin Island 
Here's some other images of, from last year. One is a mass that happens in Bear Island on the top of the mountain of a Holy Year cross and the radio broadcast it last year and people who for, due to ill health or um, migration or any other reason could, that couldn't be there were able to participate. And similarly, um, they did the same with the Bera GAA final, which I think was very uh, popular with, with people. So these are just some of the ways that they're connecting. Okay, thank you. Thanks. So now we have Brendan, yeah? Is Brendan ready? Yeah, I hope so. Now I'll just have some backdrop on my screen here if you just bear with me for a second. While you're waiting for that, Brendan, just a personal thanks to Sarah. That was absolutely amazing. Lovely to see those images and they were lovely little sound bites as well um, as an ex-broadcaster. And actually I've done training in community radio. I've done training locally here for community radio stations. Um, fascinating to see that quality and to see how well you've applied it. Sorry, Brendan, I'll shut up now and let you go. Oh, no, no, you're fine, you're fine. Right. Yeah. Can I just say one thing? Because I just wanted to thank Mark Costigan, who, is, who works with the radio station, and he put together that medley. So I don't want to take credit for it. That's from Mark. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, many thanks for having me. Um, I've been traveling to the islands for many years now as a science and uh, technology officer, but I just have to say first and foremost, I'm really inspired by the two previous speakers uh, um, in terms of what was said, uh, Sarah, in terms of the community ethos of modern technology, because one of the projects I work with um, his name is Bio, uh, the Irish for Alive, and it's, it's collecting old photographs, films and stories of long ago, but not just collecting them, um, annotating them, collecting the data from them in year, location, uh, subject area, so that this will be a huge amount of historical heritage information through a citizen science project involving all the schools of Galway from the Science Festival in November onwards. So it's a fantastic way of using the knowledge that's out there among the older people and using the the, the actual technology of the younger people and combining the two together uh, to, to uh, increase the repository of heritage information. That's one thing. And secondly, Simon, I, in terms of um, your, your background and so on in Britain, uh, one thing that I found quite interesting was the last general election, Jeremy Corbyn running for Labour. And one of his main manifesto points was the importance of of high-speed broadband available for all. And he was absolutely ridiculed and made fun of that he was making such um, a, a promise. Yet uh, months later, we can see the essentiality of such an infrastructure before it was considered a luxury for many. And now it's a requirement mm. for all. So I, I think that's interesting how a few months the world can change. And something else John said to me earlier, John Walsh, I, I just made reference to, to soon for a lot of us, we've only experienced it in the last five months. And John was saying, I've been using it for five years in terms of connectivity between the islands. So that's absolutely fantastic. So uh, I'm actually, even what I heard so far in itself is, is um, inspired, inspiring for me. But for almost 20 years now, I've been promoting the use of science and, and uh, technology in education, primarily through NUI Galway. I work with the Insight Center for Data Analytics. 
I work with primary schools, secondary schools, third level colleges, local communities that I feel very strong on, including island communities. I, we have a fairly strong social inclusion ethos. So I helped set up what was then called many years ago, internet cafes in six different um, direct provision centers across, across the west coast of Ireland. It was an opportunity for people from all over the world to connect into their um, uh, communities back home. And a lot of these people had to leave war zones, uh, violence and racism to, to come to Ireland. And one of my greatest um, memories is 10 years ago, uh, watching a community from Iraq uh, sit down and have coffee at 11 o'clock every Friday morning with their family which is a tradition they had in their own country. But this time the family was across four different countries and they were using the power of then Skype to bring people together. And uh, before I actually came to do this uh, um, uh, back to Ireland, I had spent three years living in, in Iceland. So uh, Ireland uh, community is very much part of my own life. So when I first started off 20 years ago doing uh, science and technology, it was to introduce science into the primary school curriculum as part of a government program. Science was taken out of the primary school curriculum in the 1920s to make way for the Irish language. And at the time, the Department of Education in Ireland said, okay, we have to bring in the language, our native language, and rightly so. So something has to give. And they felt, okay, science, they don't really need it at primary school level. So I was involved from 2000 to 2004, helping introduce science into primary schools again. And what we did in the pilot scheme with 36 schools in Galway, um, including quite a few schools in Connemara, was to upskill them in the use of internet, making films. Um, and when you produce a film, as uh, many people here would know, it involves a lot of different skill sets, presentation, language, uh, and, and technology and so forth, bringing them all together. So we always believe that all science is local and to look at what's around you and, and to look at the science of it and turn it into a film that can be used um, uh, by people all over the country. And interestingly enough, we're re-showing those films from 20 years ago um, uh, to, from 2000, 2004 at the Science Festival this year. But um, when it started off, as I say, broadband was, it was a dial-in modem and you could, it was so slow you could go, to, start it off and go off for lunch and come back and then, then and only then would your connection be successful. But since 2005, one of my key focuses, or 2015, sorry, has been on Africa Code Week. It's an initiative set up by the German um, company SAP and we have a presence now in all countries across Africa, all 54 countries. And the idea of Africa Code Week, the name says week, but it's not. It's right throughout the whole year. It's an all year round program to upskill the continent in digital literacy, especially in the area of coding. So whether you're in Botswana, um, a rural community, whether you're in a township in South Africa or a big city like um, Cairo in Egypt, um, what we want to do is teach young people the skills that they need for the future. Education has been traditionally comprised of three pillars. One is the um, reading and writing, and the third is the actual maths. There is a fourth pillar now, is the ability to code, not just be digital users for our young people, but to be digital creators. And I also spend a lot of time teaching as well, similar uh, programs in the Middle East, particularly in refugee camps. So if you want to experience isolation, go to a place like Al Sathri with approximately 60,000 people living in a very small area just on the Syrian border within uh, Jordan. But over my long life, I'm well in my 60s now, 
I have witnessed the increased movement of populations to large cities, increasing urbanization and depopulation, not just of islands, but also of rural communities. And in the last five, six years, I've seen a number of schools in Galway County close. And when a school closes, a community, unfortunately, on the mainland can die because the school is the last repository for, for many within a community. In the old days in a rural community, people used to go to the same church, have the same um, uh, uh, economic involvement in, in many ways, farming. And they would share so much, but all of those because of urbanization and, and suburban growth that has been lost. And the last repository for a community in many cases is a school. So it saddens me to see so many schools actually closing um, over the last um, few years. So for thousands of years, small island communities have traditionally been largely sustainable based around the fishing economy. But obviously in the modern era, you know better than I do, with globalization and overfishing, the big ships, this has been undermined in a consumer society of take, make and waste that we're all more or less living in. And tourism is fine, but there's a big seasonality there. And, and for many communities and islands, that's probably the, the mainstay. And the big workplace in the big city with all its social attractions was, in most of my lifetime anyway, the model to follow. And I can see huge growth, particularly in places like Africa and the Middle East and mega cities. And this trend and way of life seemed totally unstoppable. It was one-way traffic of people moving from the islands, from the rural into the big cities, and it became a slow death for many communities. But I honestly feel that the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown has fundamentally or potentially changed everything. It's become a reality check for so many and showed people for their first time, for many that is, an alternative way of life, uh, potentially a better quality way of life, more sustainable, more biodiversity friendly, more reliant on local materials and on local energy sources with the catalyst of high sp speed telecommunications playing an essential role. And for many of us, this would be known as the circular economy and circular society. So high speed broadband is key to de-urbanizing the world because having people live in huge cities to me creates an instability, be it in country or be it in regions or continents. And it's making island life with all its advantages and the natural environments once again economically attractive for many. So in my city, for instance, what would have been unthinkable pre-COVID, sorry, is now being encouraged. For many educational courses now at third level, this year, this academic year that began this month, students can attend lectures and college activities from their own home, as far away as places like Donegal and, uh, and Loud, um, without ever going to college ex uh, to NUI Galway or GMIT, except for a short period of time, check in every month or few months. And some of the biggest corporations, including SAP, have almost decentralized their entire workforces to their homes. That would have been laughed at um, in February or previous, and now it's, it, it could possibly become the norm. So with islands using renewable energies of wind and wave, of having a beautiful natural environment, certainly for those in Galway anyway, the islands that I work with, of having third-level colleges and large workplaces encouraging working from home, of a movement within the European U Union towards environmental protection, towards a green-blue circular economy, and of course, with the essentiality of high quality telecommunications, there is now an opportunity for island communities to once again become vibrant, 
sustainable and attractive places to actually live in. So that's my sense uh, uh, for the moment. So thank you for that. Okay, that's great. Uh, thanks very much, Brendan. Um, I guess uh, we do have it open if people have questions. Um, and then if, 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 if while we wait for any questions to come in, um, I guess if, if you had a magic wand, uh, maybe for you, Brendan, first, what, what would good look like in six to 12 months time? I mean, um, because I know like you mentioned with Jeremy Corbyn and then also, you know, if you talk about roll out in Ireland, people kind of groan and roll their eyes a little bit. So, so, so how, how, how could we, um, make things as good as possible within the constraints of what we're operating within? Well, um, as I mentioned Jeremy Corbyn because it was considered kind of, um, a, 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 how would I say, a bit off the wall at the time. But I, there is a big change now in Ireland. Um, thanks to COVID, within the cities, there's a huge push for walking and cycling. It's not just belonging to the, um, the environmental activist community. There's a big push for local parks. Economically, the big corporations of Ireland are saying there is an importance now for, uh, for high-speed broadband. Communities now should get on board this and make the push happen. We should have it now rather than later. It can happen. As I say, I, 20 years ago, I was working with uh, pre-broadband using the ISDN um, high-speed, uh, sorry, the, uh, the dial-up link. Um, 20 years now, most people wouldn't have even heard that, or, or certainly the younger generation wouldn't have known of it, you know? So I think there has to be pressure from all grassroots groups, particularly in rural Ireland, to make this an essentiality and infrastructure is important as roads. It can happen. It just means that it has to be given top priority and that will make a difference. It also is needed because there's a total region imbalance in Ireland, yeah. not just impacting on the, uh, the island communities, but right across the country. All roads, we used to say, used to lead to, um, uh, to Dublin. Uh, Dublin cannot cater, in, even in essentialities like water with the growth. So we have to have decentralization. Uh, combined out with the quality of life that people have uh, have kind of appreciated for the first time thanks to COVID. In my city here, um, the, 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 I, uh, I set up a WhatsApp group for my local community and we were sharing stories about birds, the sounds of birds. That would have been laughed at a few months. So quality of life combined with um, the ability to work from home thanks to a broadband can make a huge difference. So I work in a community, say, in South Africa, Botswana, Rwanda, and so on. They might as well be in the same room now because of the high-speed facilities. In some ways, Africa is way ahead of us, amazingly enough. They have bypassed um, uh, development uh, or skipped it very fast to get where they are today. You know, So we have to catch up because the rest of the world is passing us by in terms of broadband connectivity. Um, so we, we there's no reason why we can't. We definitely have the skill sets. We have the companies in Ireland already, yeah. and we the, the funds are still there. So it has to happen sooner rather than later. So let's make it sooner. Yeah, I'm gonna just okay, great. Suggest that we bring that back to one of the the, the priority issues in the, in the in the final plenary session as well. Sorry, Simon, I'm just giving you a time alert here. We're a wee bit over, but if you want to take another one or two very brief questions, very brief answers, please. Yeah, so unless anything's come in, I was going to get Sarah just to, to expand on um, with what all that she's gone through. Does she think that uh, in the future, what, what has been learned can help other communities to roll out and get, get set up uh, faster now? Like, is, is, it, is it a replicable template, her experiences? 
Um, okay, short answer. Uh, so the technology that we had hoped would um, would answer this lowering of barriers for community radio, when you brought it to the island context, it didn't work in the way that we'd hoped it would work. Um, that's not to say it won't work in the future. I think a lot more development needs to go into it. Um, but I think what the islands are work, um, using at the moment definitely is replicable. So we're using a software called Mayorlist for scheduling um, Bear Island kind of discovered this piece of kit called a roadcaster, which um, really um, makes podcasting quite easy to use and volunteers have found it very user friendly. And the two combined together um, work, seem to work pretty well. Um, so I think by the end of the project, definitely we'll have an idea of what is replicable. Great. So yeah. Just a very brief second question, if you don't mind, Sarah, just sort of again, the same approach in terms of a template. Because um, I would have been involved in uh, training at the local community radio station here for a number of years. Is there a model you use for training people, you know, how to put a program together, all that sort of stuff? No, and I think that was a massive oversight. And it's something that um, we're kind of reaching out to the Community Radio Association of Ireland and um, We've had one of their trainers in recently, Bear Island, had um, one of them looking at presenting. They were looking at governance issues on Cape and Cherkin and providing support around that. And hopefully, um, and I know the community members involved in this process are listening, so they'll be able to answer more. Yeah. But no, I need to send you some of my old. I think that would be if I can find them. <laughs> yeah, I think what we have learned is it is it's it's not an easy undertaking. It's a massive undertaking, and I think that you know, yeah. on island communities because they're small communities, the same people tend to be involved in all of the different aspects, and that's a real burden on them. You know, having yeah. said that, I think with the resources that they have, they each island has has actually achieved amazing things. Um, and, you know, staggering support now um, with di different trainings um, in the months ahead, hopefully will will help further. Brilliant. But that would be great. We should definitely link in. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a million to Simon for chairing that session and to Sarah and Brenton for contributing. I'm moving us along swiftly here because uh, I'm just keeping an eye on the clock here. And the next session, uh, the next session that we're going to is, uh, sorry, before we go to the next session, we have a flash presentation on what it means to be an Islander from Rhoda Tomley, whom we've already met from Kogal, Ilan, the Heron. Yeah, thanks, Trish. I've just share my, I have a very short little snapshot of the islands, hopefully. Okay, everybody see that? Yep. Okie dokie. Rhoda. Uh, let's see. Everyone needs a sense of place, a sense of, of, of home. And for islanders, the very physicality of our surroundings and the closeness of community and family is stamped on our psyche and is a huge part of what we are. Uh, islanders tend to love their independence, but also realize more and more the importance of and civic contribution. 
innovation, uh, the necessary adapting of ideas and engineering to suit island life has always been a part of the Islanders toolkit. But still, traditions and crafts are very much a part of island life. Uh, multitasking, as Simon mentioned, uh, is commonly a requirement of successful island living. And so islanders may have many or several feathers in their cap, not only fishing and farming, but IT, crafting, construction, writing, all the arts, pretty much anything, you name it. At the same time, Islanders are very much aware of the importance of preparedness and mindful of that stretch of water between them and medical help. And Islanders are keenly aware of challenges to our sustainability and try to work with county councils, national government and European structures for answers and action. In these times of COVID, our face-to-face -face networking uh, is on pause, but we have several platforms to exchange ideas. And Islanders delight in good times and mourn their tragedies and hard times, but ultimately, it's that stretch of water, the moods of the sea and tide that play such a huge role in shaping who we are. Thank you. That's absolutely beautiful, Rhoda. Well, thank you. Lovely. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that one. Really, really I'm beginning good. to feel now that I should have had a bit of music going in the background. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to ring up John to hook me into Bear Island Radio and have a bit of mood music going on. No bother, Rhoda. Anytime. <laughs> right. Thanks a million. We hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.